0: you feel like a complete and utter Muppet. sit around reading law books on the weekend, oh God, this is interesting. (laughs) They've they've amended section 127. This was supposed to send you off on a good note, not (laughs) (laughs) thinking about climate change. You're listening to The Briefcase. Hello, and welcome to episode 40. Wow, 40, and they said we wouldn't last. Feel oh, my kidding. I didn't care enough to say that. It is Friday, the sixth of October, 2023. I'm Sarah, and I am your host. And I'm feeling rested and rejuvenated after an impromptu but necessary three-week break. Actually, probably not exactly rested and rejuvenated, but at least slightly less cat-like in my readiness to smack complete strangers upside the head so I'm counting that as a win. And as a reward for keeping your ear bones warm in my absence, I have an update on the most hotly anticipated development in law since the Magna Carta. That is our brand new show, They Don't Teach You at Law School. Hooray! So when i tell you that girlfriend has been talking to people all over the world about this project she means it from california to new york texas seattle south africa new zealand london and all over australia i have been super excited to embark on some global research that will help us to bridge the gap between law school and the real world of legal practice Plus, along the way, I've managed to secure an unbelievable roster of guests who will share their own candid, authentic, and hilariously eye-popping stories with a view to helping other lawyers avoid the same pitfalls and frustrations. And if you want to know the moment we launch, head to sarahelkey.com and sign up for the mailing list. And remember, keep sending me your unique experiences in law, the knowledge and skills gaps you've experienced or have noticed in others. We'll be right back. The cat sat on the as well as all of the problems, conflicts, frustrations, and issues you're currently facing in the unique ecosystem that is legal practice. You can use the suggestion box at sarahelke.com or email me at hello at sarahelke.com. Be candid, be frank, and be honest because all submissions will be kept strictly confidential. And that's important because the new show is going to talk about it all. Exciting times ahead, but in the meantime, what's in the briefcase? this week we are ramping up as we near the end of season three so of course i sat down with a local legend that is the delightful chief judge brian devereux of the district court of queensland and my conversation with his honor was fantastic and completely unexpected spanning everything from how to become a judge to the wild parties that get thrown after every swearing-in ceremony the importance of the jury system and of course what song his honour would like played whenever he enters the court. Season 3 of The Briefcase is brought to you by our friends at the University of Queensland Law School. Check the show notes for a master's custom-built for you. Chief Judge. Yes. Hello.
1: Hello.
0: <laughs> How are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. Good. And I hear... Three new judges.
1: Yes, which is a really, actually, it's a historic increase in our compliment. Is I don't think there's been a time when there have been three additional judges appointed.
0: Does that mean there's going to be extra help around here so you don't have to pick up the slack as much? Or <laughs> well, Jan doesn't have to pick up <laughs> this, the slack yeah, as much? That would
1: require me admitting that I'd pick up the slack. Oh, right. Now, <laughs> the, the truth is that there are 40 judges on the court, right? So we're going from base complement of 40 to 43 and it's been a really long time since there's been any substantial increase in the number of judges and as you can imagine with the population of queensland the workload has increased a great deal Mm. so there are two things that we certainly the government and i are trying to achieve one is make the work practices a little more sustainable Mm -hmm. but also hurry things up a bit too Mm. because Women's Safety and Justice Task Force reported, among other things, that there are some delays in cases in the district court. And so there is inevitably going to be, in a human system, Mm. some standout cases that have an excessive delay. Mm. And there's usually good reasons for it. But nonetheless, we strive to reduce the, the incidence of that. So the goal is get everybody access to justice a bit quicker, while at the same time not wearing out. The judges
0: mm. so is there a party on the horizon to celebrate these petitions? No.
1: well we swore them in on last monday morning and everybody went straight into court Which is how judges have traditionally done it you're a practicing barrister at one day mm. and then this is how it happened to me and it seems still to happen you get a call from the attorney general after a process of being gone through mm. to say i want you to be on the court and so you say sure and it varies, but, you know, maybe a week, maybe two weeks even before your life completely changes. And once you're sworn in, you go straight to court. So we've we've done that part, but we're going to have a public welcome on Thursday of next week, the 21st. Okay. And there'll be morning tea after that. So there's your celebration. <laughs>
0: they know how to do it right the district court, putting on some morning tea. That's right. So that's amazing that you get sworn in and you go straight to, you could potentially go straight into a matter and be deciding a matter. I mean. That's remarkable that there's no no training beforehand, just straight in.
1: Yeah, but nonetheless, the people who are appointed are appointed because they've got that capacity. Mm. Mostly they're from the bar, or, or if not the independent private bar, then from you know inside the DPP or legal aid, inside an institution. Mm where they've been to court a lot. Mm. Uh, occasionally, people from the solicitor's profession do get admitted.
0: When does that happen? It's, that doesn't happen very often where the people from the solicitor's branch get appointed. Yeah. So when would that happen?
1: It, just, it happens when a person who's the most qualified person happens to be a solicitor. Right. There's no kind of vacancy for which you would say, oh, we need a solicitor for this. There have been solicitors in civil practices and solicitors in criminal law practices who have been appointed. Mm including in the Supreme Court. Mm. Sometimes that's just the best person.
0: Yeah, right.
1: One example is um, last year we had a vacancy and we needed a planning and environment expert mm-hmm. and the process produced a solicitor. Mm. And so we have, that's an example. Mm. Most barristers might say, yes, you really should put barristers on courts as judges because they know all about litigation mm. and they can step straight into it. And the larger proportion of us are Former barristers of one sort or another.
0: Mm. Right. What are we talking about today, Your Honour?
1: Oh, well, one thing I'd like to talk about, which has been exercising my mind lately, is the jury system and more particularly educating people in the community how important it is to be on the jury if you have the chance and how actually interesting it can be. Mm. Some parts of the state we've found there are certain areas where it's harder to get people to come to court. Mm. It can be a drag. Of course, if you get a summons to come to court and you work or have a family or whatever it is, you're a student, but everybody has to come to court. There are two steps in the process which require you to respond in one way or another, Mm. and there are penalties for not taking the steps. So the judges have had a few discussions about this over the last year or so, and an approach that we've adopted is to plan for a jury campaign or a jury education but it would be ready to go, I think, maybe early next year.
0: Campaign to get people excited about the prospect of joining a jury.
1: Yeah, or at least to get them to think positively instead of negatively about it.
0: Can I offer some advice of what you could include?
1: Yes, what is it?
0: Might I humbly submit that you could couch it in a true crime narrative? Because everybody loves true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. Everybody listens to true crime. They love it. If you somehow tied true crime podcast going on to uh, onto a jury, I think you'd you, you have an influx of people wanting to turn up and see.
1: Jurors, more than anybody else in the community, know all of the evidence because they're there the whole time, which is why we say to them, not only should you not talk to anybody else or let anyone else talk to you about the case, mm. nobody else is of any value because nobody has heard all the evidence that you've heard. Mm. So by definition, no one can really assist you, only distract you. Mm. And that is the thing. Mm. In a trial, the jury, civil or criminal, we're mostly concerned for the moment with criminal trials, make the big decision. Mm. They get all the
0: dirt as well.
1: They get all of the information. (laughs) They hear all the questions. And sometimes that can be less fun than other times. But it might just be my impression, but mostly I do think that the jury gets something out of it. They come the first day and they usually, they might be dressed very casually, but if they are impanelled, you see them very quickly come on board. Mm -hmm. And it's the the most fun to have as a judge. It's the best part of this job. Really? You go, we're all over the state. We can travel somewhere for circuit and you kind of, in a way, meet 12 locals and, in a way, you work with them. Yeah. It's sort of one way. We talk at the jurors and tell them things. Mm. They don't get that much opportunity to talk back, Mm. but they can ask questions. And you see them buy in. And we even talk to juries in that way. You know, judges and lawyers like to go on about the importance of judicial independence, Mm. separation of the courts from the executive, from the parliament. Mm. And so we say to jurors, well, you make the big decisions in this case. Mm. No one can influence you. You should embrace that idea of independence. I might be imagining it, but I I do think that they come into that
0: They take the power and relish it.
1: They do. And they also ask sensible questions. Mm. They send you notes. They ask to listen to evidence again, and it all makes sense. And then ultimately, if they can reach a verdict, they give you a verdict. And you know, everybody should feel then, and I feel it mostly, that there's been a process. Members of the community, chosen almost at random, who didn't know each other before, come together and decide such an important thing Mm. as whether someone should be criminally liable, meaning whether they should be sentenced Mm. for what it is said they've done. That sense of inclusion and actually empowerment as a citizen, Mm. that's what's beneficial. But also, you'll learn a lot about the system and hopefully people leave jury service with an appreciation of the value of it Mm. and of the criminal justice system because otherwise everybody relies simply on whatever they read or hear in the media. That's really important in one specific way. There have been a number of studies in Tasmania and in Victoria and at the moment there's a national one going on. I think it's complete but I don't think they've published the results yet. About the experience of jurors who have been on a trial where a defendant has been found guilty and they are asked a series of questions about what the appropriate sentence should be and then. After the judge has sentenced, they were sent a transcript of the sentencing. Mm. That also gives them more information about what the range for that kind of offence was according to judgments made in the Court of Appeal. And the agreement with what the judge did is is high. So that when the juror has been through the process, Mm. seen all the evidence, understood the relevant considerations, heard about the defendant for the purpose of rehabilitation and mitigation they far more than you would expect in a majority of cases agree that the judge's sentence was good
0: right it's it's amazing how little that system has changed through history that we still have a jury of our peers yes of the community there to to make the ultimate
1: decision yes
0: Mm, it's remarkable really
1: i know it's, it's really good and i think it's um envied we have visitors from other places who come just to look at it and it is envied I can't remember the name of an English person who said it's it's democracy at work in our form of democracy in Australia we can if we want take no part in government apart from voting the only other actual part that we take have to take in community affairs would be being on a jury Mm and it really is an exercise of power by citizens so i think it's really valuable and i just think that that message is a bit lost Mm. so we'd like to go out to the community by various means and encourage people including encouraging employers to take up the offer when it comes to them
0: Mm. and facilitate it for their employees that's right because that's probably one of the big deterrents is well, you have to miss out on days of work and it's unclear how long you'll be away from work too, depending on what the matter is. That's right. Do you get paid as a jury member?
1: You do get paid. There is a a scale. It's not fabulous pay. Mm. It doesn't really compensate people for their job loss. Mm. But there is a protection in the Jury Act for jurors that can't be disadvantaged in their employment because of jury service. Right. And um, this isn't in place in Queensland, but I think it wouldn't be a bad idea for a jury service to just be considered a sort of crossover leave. It wouldn't be much of a shift. Jury leave should be available and should be standard. Mm. But there are other ways that the impact on employers can be reduced. I mean, we do understand that it's an interruption to daily life, all the way down to finding transport, looking after a child. Where do you park? Mm. All sorts of simple things that make it an irritant. I just think that we've got to a stage now where we should be able to go out and talk to communities and say, how can we make it easier?
0: And is it possible to actually change the system in relation to any feedback that you receive?
1: Yes. Some changes might need legislation, Mm. but mostly the campaign that we're thinking of now is just about educating people to the benefits of being on a jury.
0: Put people up in a hotel. I think you'd get a, be, a better uptake. They get a free holiday out of it. Plus, they get room service.
1: You know what? In a sense, it used to be like that.
0: Go back to that. <laughs> We've and moved not, away from that no. because
1: people didn't want that.
0: No, I think people will want that now with the cost of living increasing, and I think they will want to go to the Sheraton. Oh, the I see.
1: Mm. But see, that would mean they're out of home for a week or three days.
0: And I'm telling you now, a lot of people would enjoy that, particularly (laughs) parents.
1: (laughs) Well, well, there was a time when once the jury started to deliberate, they couldn't separate. Mm. So if they started deliberating at two in the afternoon and hadn't got a verdict at six, they would be taken to dinner Mm. and then they'd come back and they'd work from 7.30 till nine say, Mm -hmm. and then they'd be put in a hotel. Mm. So during that afternoon, the bailiffs would be sending out to everybody's homes Taxis would bring in clothes and things. They'd all be taken to a hotel for the night and then brought back at 9 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Now, I've seen a few jury panels over the years who had to do that. Yeah. And when you see them at 10.30 the next day and they've been trying to find an, a- an answer and they haven't been home, they often don't look too happy. Right. <laughs> so I just don't think people really want the separation from their lives that you're proposing to that extent I I, look
0: i think if you go at five star and there's room service and maybe a massage thrown in people will be a bit more amenable to it okay that's my my uneducated opinion
1: okay well <laughs> if we get that kind of feedback i i think we're now duty bound to pass it on to the attorney general yeah. and, and see what the budget Allows. produces mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway the process of being in a jury It is so enriching in that way. Mm. If nothing else, Mm. it gives people a real chance to see how the criminal justice system works, shows them that members of the community are absolutely essential, integral to it, and hopefully leaves them thinking, oh, okay, it's not such a bad system. Mm. Here's another really important thing about juries: They don't always just decide what the facts were Mm. because in many cases... Juries have to decide whether conduct was honest or whether conduct was, say, dangerous. And they make those decisions on a community standard. Mm. So say a case where there's been a terrible car crash and people have been killed. Mm. And the issue might be, did the defendant operate the car dangerously? Mm. Now, there might be disputes about how it all happened, but that's not all there is to it. The jury has to work out what happened and then decide whether it was dangerous. Mm. And you can't really define that any more than dangerous enough so that the person should be criminally responsible, Mm. should be punished for it, Mm. as opposed to should be sued in negligence. And the, the jury doesn't just find facts, they have to make a judgment about whether the conduct was dangerous. Similarly, in a lot of dishonesty cases, like fraud cases, usually the question is, did that use of money, or whatever it is, but mm. usually it's shifting money from one place to another, mm. was that dishonest? And the test is, was that dishonest according to the standards of ordinary, honest people? And that doesn't mean you, the juror, as an individual. Mm. It means we, the jury, representing and applying a community standard.
0: Which is so nebulous, though, isn't it?
1: Well, it is, but the best you can do is put 12 people in a room
0: yeah.
1: instead of having one judge trying to guess that
0: yes. trying
1: to assess that so that's the other thing about jury service that that isn't often appreciated jurors don't just have to decide facts and say guilty or not guilty they really do make judgments it really is that empowering members of the community make really important judgments
0: To your knowledge, any fights ever broken out in the jury deliberation process? No. No one gets that worked up about their perspective?
1: I haven't heard of actual fights. Right. But occasionally we do hear reports. Someone complains that someone else has not been reasonable. But as you probably know, what goes on in the jury room is really primarily embargoed. They're not to reveal jury deliberations. No one's entitled to ask them what was going on. The only way you can really do that is if a judge orders an investigation, which will be carried out by the registrar. So it's pretty rare.
0: All right. Well, to finish up, I am aware that you are a musician.
1: Uh huh. I was in a band once. Yes. yes.
0: So may I may I ask Your Honour, <laughs> if you could have any song play whenever you enter a room? Oh yes. Which song would it be no.
1: that'll depend on exactly the mood that's a bit like saying what's your favorite song to which there is no answer because your favorite song differs yes depending on your every mood. minute of the day but if you
0: had to pick one theme one song, song
1: one theme song
0: and it would have to blare really loud whenever you enter the room
1: right
0: including the court
1: oh I know what it no <laughs> there is one great song It's a Nick Cave song called Get Ready For Love.
0: And it sounds perfect for entering the court.
1: It's got that tone in Nick Cave's voice, which is serious, but also, you know, maybe not. Yes. And it's got great backing vocals and a full brass section. And I think it's the kind of production that Leonard Cohen would have done if he could have. Right. He never quite cut it, but every now and then (laughs) Leonard Cohen produced songs with big production and I thought when I first heard this one I thought yes Nick Cave has done what Leonard Cohen couldn't but there you I, go no doubt Leonard Cohen did a lot of things but <laughs> Nick Cave couldn't
0: yes well there we go now we all know what song to play in our mind when Chief Judge Devereaux enters the room <laughs> thank you so much for your time your honor sure <laughs> No, I'm leaving you very, <laughs> very unsettled and embarrassed. No, exactly. Yeah. I'm a worried man now. Yeah, now my job is done. Okay. <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for this week on The Briefcase. It's time to close her up. See you next time. I'm Sarah Corral, and this is The Briefcase.